world looks at us, I'm afraid they don't see much of that. I'm afraid they don't see much justice. That's something we need to own together because we see in the passage, this is what we're all to be about. I think oftentimes, and some in here might be, wouldn't consider yourself a part of the church and you might could confirm this for us. I think as the world looks at the church today, they see a people who are more concerned about themselves or even their own personal righteousness. Right? So I'm, I'm, I'm most concerned with my individual relationship with Jesus. Let me say that's a wonderful thing, but it tends to be all that we're concerned about in our part of the church. Hasn't always been the case in the church by any stretch of the imagination. But as the world looks at us, they see we're more concerned about our gatherings and our numbers and our buildings and our programs, essentially us, than we are about what in the world is not right. Where we say, I'm going to do something about that. Here's what we'll see in our passage. The church is God's agent for justice in the world. We're His instrument for putting to rights the things that are broken in the world by sin. That's our calling. That is the centerpiece of our mission. And it's what the Bible calls justice. So let's jump into our passage here. And I don't know if you noticed, but as we started in on verses 1 through 5, there's some serious calling out that's going here. Did you notice that? Where God is saying some pretty harsh things to His people, and He says right off the bat, shout it aloud, do not hold back, raise your voice like a trumpet, saying that to Isaiah, the prophet, coming to speak to God's people, declare to my people their rebellion and to the house of Jacob their sins. So what's he about to call them out over? Well, if you just stop there and you say, alright, now God is worked up here. His people are not living the way they're supposed to live. They're in rebellion. What do we expect to find as he begins to describe their rebellion? What are they doing? Have they been honky-tonking? That's what we'd expect to find, right? They've been out honky-tonking, been out partying, you know, not been living right, been cussing, whatever. You know, that's what we expect. But it's not what we find. Look as he continues here. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not noticed it? You have not seen it? Even more so, we're looking at a people as he describes them that they are devoted. They're religious. They're in church. They're fasting for crying out loud. Who does that? They seem extremely devoted. They're extremely religious. But yet, God is calling them out for rebellion. What's the problem? What's going on here? We would expect those to be the very things that God is after. But look at what he says, second part of verse 3. Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please. And you exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. See what he's saying here? You've got all of the devotional stuff going on with me. You're very religious on the outside. He says you seem to be. But yet, you are mistreating one another. It's the irony there of like 
so devoted that you're fasting, and while you're fasting, you're getting in fights with each other. I don't know if you've ever fasted before, but one of the first things that happens to me whenever I fast is my my temper gets short. I get irritable. Now, is the fasting causing that? No, no, it's just bringing it out. But he's calling them out. He's saying, you, you don't understand there's an inconsistency that if you're devoted personally to me, but yet mistreating one another, you're not really devoted to me. It's just an external, it's just empty religion. It's hard for us to understand that we, we think that being devoted to God and being devoted to other people and loving and caring for other people are really on different planes. Right? We know that Jesus says, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself, but in our mind they're kind of like this. you know, Love your neighbor if you get around to it or if they're nice or if they're deserving. But in the Bible, God says, no, those are inseparably connected. The way that you treat another human being is actually how you're treating me in the moment. They're not, they're not disconnected. So God's calling out His people on saying, you cannot be devoted religiously to me and yet not be devoted horizontally to one another. So then He calls them to something. And this is our particular focus in verse 6. This is the call. This is the shape as we're talking together about grace on mission. What is it that's at the center of our mission? And that's what we're looking at here. Verse 6 as God is going to say to His people, this is what I'm after in your life. Is not this the kind of fasting I've chosen? This is what devotion to me looks like. Not what we might naturally think. Look at what He says. To loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry? Provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe him, not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. What do we see about that picture? God is saying, I want you to be about those who are in need around you. That's what devotion to me looks like. To to get involved in people's lives. Now it's not just giving things to people in need. Sometimes we think about it that way, that if, yes... As a church, we need to be concerned with giving to the needy and and caring for the poor, but oftentimes we think in terms of just giving stuff to them. It certainly includes that. We see it in the passage. But it's so much more than what he's talking about here. Look at what he says in verse 10. He says, if you spend yourself in behalf of the hungry. To spend yourself is, is giving this sense in which I'm taking up their cause. That I'm seeing someone who is in need, someone who is... Uh, under oppression or, or, or uh, suffering in some way, and I'm going to spend myself for them. That means I'm going to get involved. It means I'm going to take up their case as my own. It means I'm going to do like what Leanne Tooney did in the clip that we just saw. It's spending yourself, not just your money, your time and your heart. As we see people around us, as we see brokenness around us, we're going to spend ourselves for that. That's going to become my mission coming alongside people, raising them up. And even this sense of loosing the chains of injustice, untying the cords of the yoke. You know, injustice is this, and, and oppression is this 
is this reality in which people are in these kind of situations, they're being held down by various things, whether it be their own experiences in life, or whether it be systems that are set up, systems of government, or social systems, or networks, or, you know, the Bible has a very diverse sense of oppression. And the ways that people find themselves in these situations, not just because they're lazy, sometimes that's the case, but oftentimes they're being oppressed in some way. So, to untie the cords of the yoke is to get involved, you know, it's this, you ever tried to untie some knot of cords in some way? You know, you're getting the you're getting the Christmas lights out and it's a big ball like, you know, like Clark Griswold and it's a big ball of, you know, entangled cords. That's kind of what it's like whenever you get involved with poverty. Whenever you get involved with somebody's life that's a mess. It's like trying to untie all of that. It takes a lot of time and a lot of energy. He's saying, this, this is your mission. Now it's very common for us, very easy for us to think, as we think about these acts of mercy and caring for the poor, especially in the church, well there's some people that that's kind of their thing. You know, they're interested in that and that's kind of their, their soapbox. And, and that's good, they ought to do that and I might do a little bit, but that, that's not really my thing. I think it's very common to think in that way. But here's what Isaiah's saying to us, what God's saying to Isaiah. No, no, this is my thing. So it's all of your thing. You're all to be a part of this. This is a centerpiece of your mission to get involved in this way. And kids, this, you know, this really applies to you in your life too. I mean, just to bring it down into your reality, if you think about in class, if you think about on sports teams, if you think about different places that you find yourself... Are there ever kids that are made fun of? You ever see kids that are bullied? Or kids that they, they might not have as much as others. Maybe they smell a little bit and others make fun of them and mistreat them. You ever see kids like that in your classes? You know what God's calling you to do? To take up their call. Care about them. To share friendship with them. You know the ones that, that nobody wants to be friends with? that are just kind of alone. See, to do justice, what God's calling us to, is you go and you make friends with them. You give them access. Right? You show kindness to them. You protect them. That pleases God. Isn't that amazing? You at school can bring pleasure to God's heart. And this is as close as it gets to His heart. So applicable. This whole concept that we're talking about is what the Bible calls justice. And it is all over the Bible. Oftentimes, we, when we read the Bible, what jumps out at us is what we're already thinking or looking for. But I want you to start reading the Bible looking for justice. And you're going to be stunned. I was stunned when I went through this. I became a Christian. I didn't get any of it. But as people began to open my eyes to it, I began to say, wow, this is at the center of God's heart. This is what the Bible calls justice. Now, whenever we think about justice, we think primarily in terms of like punishment. Like somebody has committed a crime and justice is getting their due for that crime. And that's certainly an aspect of justice, even in the Bible. But from the Bible's perspective, justice is far more broad. It, it includes far more than just that punishment. It includes giving people their due. That's what justice is. It's giving people their due. 
It's setting right people's relationships. It's setting right people's circumstances in life. See, here's the assumption of the Bible. Every single human being is made in the image of God. We talked about that two weeks ago. We saw how fundamental that is to the Bible. And so when any human being is mistreated, when any human being is excluded or under oppression or discriminated against or any of those things, that from the perspective of the Bible is called injustice because they are the image of God and they are due certain rights. They are due certain dignity. If you're the image of God, you have immense worth and dignity and value. No matter how broken you are, it doesn't matter if you're a believer or an unbeliever, it does not matter if you are the image of God, you have tremendous worth. And so anything in this world that defaces the image of God in the Bible is called injustice. And we see it throughout the Scriptures. Now we might think, as we think about helping people who are in poverty, who are broken, who are needy or whatever, we think in terms of mercy. Like if I see someone who's hurting, I'm going to do mercy, I'm going to give charity to them. And there's certainly that at play. From the perspective of the Bible though, it's not mercy, it's justice. With mercy, it's something I choose to offer because of compassion. I choose to give you something that belongs to me because I feel compassion. But justice actually says that is their due. So when we take up the cause of the poor, we're not showing mercy. We are giving them their due. If I have two coats and my brother has none, one of my coats belongs to him. That is justice. This is, it takes a lot of work to work this out in our life and in our faith. But it's everywhere in the Bible. As we read the Bible, we see over and over and over it talking about this, these four groups of people that one writer calls the quartet of the vulnerable. Now it's the poor, the widow, the orphan, and the immigrant. The immigrant. Some things you read in the Bible are just not going to fit our, our politics. There's not going to. You see this four popping up over and over and over. And in the Bible, God identifies Himself with the poor. He says things like this. Here's 60, uh, Psalm 68.5. This is how God identifies Himself. A father to the fatherless and a defender of widows. Isn't that amazing? God says not just I do this, but this is who I am. If I'm going somewhere and somebody asks me, I want to introduce you to these people. How should I introduce you? They're kind of asking me, what's most important to you? As I introduce you, as I tell people who you are, I want to know what's most important to you about who you are. And I'm probably going to say things like, well, you need to know I'm married to Ashley. That's probably the most important thing you need to know about me. I have four children. Let me tell you their names and their ages. You know, that's, that's how I'm going to identify myself. How does God identify me? I am a father, fatherless. I'm a defender of widows. I take up their cause. That's who I am. This passage in Deuteronomy 10, just a sample, they're everywhere. The Lord your God defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow, and He loves the alien, the immigrant, giving Him food and clothing. And you are to love those who are aliens, for you yourselves were aliens. This is who God is. It's His heart. 
It's what He's like. It's what He calls us to. This is His mission in the world to lift up those who are laid low, to lift up those who are in poverty, those who are in oppression, those who are in, in, imprisoned to various aspects of exploitation in the world. And did you see the promise in the past? God promises to do something. He's calling us to be about this cause in the world, and yet He promises, when you do this, here's what I'm going to do. Verse 8, Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Get that image there? Huge. In Throughout the Old Testament, Isaiah especially, this dawning of the light, this light breaking forth into the darkness is an image of the coming of the kingdom of God. God is saying, here's what I'm calling you to. And as you give yourselves to this, I'll open up the heaven. I will pour out my spirit as never before. I will usher in my kingdom. Then your righteousness will go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and then I will say, Here I am. I will be with you. I will pour out my spirit upon you. Then your light, second part of verse 10, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. You see what he's saying? You take up this call. You give yourself to my mission. I'll pour out my spirit. You will flourish. You'll be like a well-watered garden. This picture of just growth and bearing of fruit and also not just of, of us flourishing but also our world, our community, the earth. Look what he says in verse 12. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundation. We are called to be kingdom builders. Not just to get people on a lifeboat to fly up to heaven. God is bringing His kingdom into this world. And so our calling as a church and as His people to be about His mission here, taking up that cause of justice, bearing witness to His kingdom. And as we give ourselves to this, He says, I'll open up heaven. I will bring my kingdom through you into the earth. Look at how He describes the second part of verse 12. You will be called... Repair of broken walls. Restore of streets with dwelling. Calling. You will be called repairs of broken walls. Restores of streets with dwelling. You know what we're called to be? We're called to be renovators of creation. We're called to be the agents of God's renewing all things in the earth. I remember whenever we lived on Lookout Mountain, Ashley and I lived on Lookout Mountain, we had a house we were trying to sell, and as we were getting ready to sell it, we realized that a whole wall, a whole exterior wall in the house, was basically dust from termites. We had no idea on the outside it looked great. But we didn't realize that termites for years, even before we had bought it, people that before us, they kind of put a piece of furniture in front of it where you couldn't see it. But termites had eaten out the whole exterior and the whole corner of the house was being held up by two before. The whole thing was about to collapse. We had no idea. We were just trying to fix things to get, get the house sold. 
So what did I do? I called uh, Jeff McBriar. He comes up. He's a renovator. He's a builder. He comes in and he takes broken things and he brings them back to their original beauty. And so they came in and they cleaned out everything that was eaten up, everything that was broken, and they rebuilt the whole side of the house where it was whole and it was firm and it was the way it was supposed to be. That is a great picture of what our calling is as followers. We're renovating. Our task as the church is to look out at our community and say, where is the wall broken? Where is the wall? In some translations it says breached. Where's it fallen down? Where are, where are the ancient ruins around here? Where, where are things not the way they're supposed to be? That's the task of the church because we know Jesus is bringing about His renewal here. So our task is to say, what is broken here and how are we going to be a part of that? As we look at Day County, we see a number of aspects where the wall has been broken. We see that there are broken families here. There are children living in neglect, many of them. If you're a school teacher, you could talk for about an hour about what you've seen up here. There are people living in the prison of addiction. All over this county, there's poverty, widespread poverty. That's where the walls broke. And so as a church, our task is to see those things and say, alright Lord, how are we to be involved in this? How are we to be about justice here? Giving due to the image of God and setting things right the way that they're supposed to be. That's why as a church we're doing faith and finances. For us, that's an opportunity to rebuild what is broken. To help people, not just get them on the lifeboat. We, want, we will share the gospel with them. We know that unless they are united to Christ, no one can be made whole. But we're also going to care for their lives and for their body and help them to become what God has created them to be is the image of God. That's why we're building and we're creating a mercy and justice team. A team of people in the congregation that can get involved in the issues that we see. If you want to be a part of that, let me know. That's why we want to do things like an organization called Lookout for Orphans where we seek to adopt children or, or safe families where we seek to come alongside broken families in Dade County. We'll talk more about those things. But that's why we do those things. They're avenues for us to begin to rebuild what is broken in this place that God has called us to. Let me close with this. I want to close with our motivation. I could end here and I could say, alright, go get them tiger, right? Maybe right now as we talk through this and we begin to see this calling of justice, you're thinking, oh my gosh, how do I do that? Maybe feeling a little guilt. Let me tell you something. Guilt will never motivate us to be the people He's calling us to be. It just won't work. It'll work for about five minutes, then it's gone. The only thing that will propel us out in sacrificial mission, that's what it takes, getting involved in people's lives, is a sacrifice. The only thing that will motivate us in that way is grace. Do you know that grace is what makes you just? Grace is what moves you out. And here's how it works. Grace is far better motivator than guilt. Here's how it works. As I understand the grace of God more and more deeply in my heart, you know what it does to me? It humbles me. If you're really understanding grace, 
and deepening your understanding of it, it's going to be humbling you because you're going to be seeing the only way that I'm made right with God is the pure grace of God. The only way that I'm made whole, the only way that I'm, that, that I'm in the place that I am is by pure grace. That's what it took. The only way for me to be reconciled to God was for the perfect Son of God to come and be murdered in my place. That's grace. It's the ultimate humble. It shows me that I was, I was in oppression, under the oppression of sin. There was no way for me to get out, nor did I even want to get out. You know, I was in the hole. I could not climb out on my own. And what did God do? By pure, sheer grace, He set His affections upon me, and He went down into the pit to rescue me up. That's the gospel. And as you experience that more and more true in your own heart, you know what it does? It changes the way you look at other people, particularly those who don't have what you have. You begin to look at them, it's like looking in a mirror. You look at them and you say, you're like me in every way. I might not have the exact same circumstances, but I'm just as broken as you. I was just as helpless as you. I was just as much and as in need of you. Whatever you're facing, I know what that's like. But here's what God did for me. He rescued me by sheer grace. And now what I begin to do is I begin to treat others in that same way that I've experienced from Him. I begin to move towards those. I'm compelled by where you are because I was there. And He rescued me. Grace makes us just. So the more deeply we enjoy Jesus and the gospel together, the more just we will be. The more that we will do just in the community that we're called to. Let me stop there and give us just a minute to respond and hear from one another. How does that strike you? Might alarm you some. Might compel you. Just hear from one another. What's striking you and moving in you as you consider this passage and this concept of justice? Rachel. Yes, that's a great question. How do you how do you help people without giving the impression that you're better than them? That is a wonderful kind of question that we got to be asking. Because the easiest thing in the world to do is if you're middle class or you have something is you come in to say, let me fix you. It's very easy to do. And I think how you do it is it starts with the attitude of the heart formed by grace. You know, I, I think the most important thing we do is just drilling down in our hearts, getting grace all the way down into the deep parts of our hearts that we really do believe, I am no better than you. That to have stuff, which is usually the case in, in our culture, very... Uh, consumeristic, materialistic culture, we tend to think that poverty is just not having stuff. So, if I'm going to help the poor, it means I'm going to give them stuff. Right? And that that's not helpful. Because I just make them just as, as consumed with stuff as I am. So, it's, it's having this mindset that I'm no better. And so, it's coming in with that. It's also coming in and not saying, I'm going to fix it for you but rather trying to empower them. Uh, I think 
the best way to start that is with friendship. I think what people who are in, in, in need or poverty or whatever kind of situation they're in, what they need more than anything is friendship. Where you come in and you build a relationship and you say, I care about where you are and I want to support you. I need support in my life. Let me support you. Let me help you. So, I think the best way is constantly be working the grace into our heart to remember, I know better than you are. Greg. Greg's making a great point. He says, you've you got to be willing to understand as you go in, this person's going to change me. And if you've ever done this, if you've ever gotten involved in somebody's life, it ha- oh man, it happens. There's a great scene later in The Blind Side where she's sitting at this table and you know she's got her, her prim and proper friends that are there and they're kind of making fun of her that she's taking this African-American young man into her home. And she lights them up. She feisty. She lights them up. And they kind of back up and one of them says, hey, I'm sorry. Listen, you're, you're cha- you're do- what you're doing is a great thing. You're changing that boy's life. And she looks at her and she says, no, no, no. He's changing me. It's a beautiful thing. And that is the experience. We need the poor as much as the poor need us. And that's part of what we got to really believe as we go in is, to Rachel's question. You know, I need them to change me because it gets me out of this mindset that stuff equals happiness or righteousness or any of those other things. Stephanie. Mmm. Huh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You know, if you seek to do this, you seek to get involved, and you're like, okay, God, I hear your call. I'm going to get involved. One of the first things you're going to find out is the difference between God's justice and my justice because you're going to try to fix it all on your own, and you're going to be at your wits' end, you're going to be burned out, and you're going to be freaked out, and that's exactly where God wants to get you. You get to this point where you realize, I can't fix anybody. And the best way to get to that point is to try to help somebody. But God wants to get us to that place where we say, I can't fix anybody. And God's like, all right, now I can use you. Because really, all of this that we're talking about, it's God that does it. For some reason, He wants to use us as an instrument, but it's His work. And so it's learning to get involved with open hands, trusting in Him to do what we can't do. And it's messy. Sometimes as you think about it, getting involved with people, we want to help the worthy poor. Does that make sense? Like, we want to help people if they're like, not going to be wasteful with their money, or you go to help somebody and you're like, you come back and you're like, they had a, they had cable in that place. You know, they couldn't pay their bills and they had cable. You know, what are they doing wasting money? So if you have this idea, we're going to help the worthy poor, the poor are just as unworthy as I am. I waste money. Holy cow. All the time. We all do. So it's, it's part of just getting that humility down in our hearts to be like, 
I'm just like you. I'm just as in need of grace as you. And as you get involved, you learn that in your own heart because you see all your prejudices and pride and self-reliance and all of those. Mark. That's it. Great definitions, yeah. Yeah. I think giving people their due. So it's understanding that if I look at someone who has who's in a poverty or has been oppressed in some way, uh, I'm looking at them and I'm saying, because you are the image of God, you deserve opportunity. You deserve the same kind of education as I deserve. You deserve the same kind of parental family situation as I have. That's what God intended for you. Because you are the image of God, you have rights and title to these things. And so whenever I see it, that, that you have been denied that in your life, there's that thing that happens in me that happens in Stephanie that says, no, it happens in Leanne Tooney. So, sure, yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. So it's, it's, it's learning to see people in, in the situations they find themselves in and saying, God did not intend that for you. And now sometimes you've got to get out of your mind that they're just there because they aren't as smart as we are or as hardworking as we are. As you get to know their story, you realize they weren't dealt the same deck of cards I was. And that, that's hard to, for us to understand. Because we think we got what we got because we were so hardworking or smart. And uh, usually not the case. They're, they're not dealing with the same hand. It's never the case. That's right. That's right. Stan. Yes, right. That's right. That's right. Uh huh. Yes. Yeah. So Rex is sharing that thing. If you get involved in somebody's life of helping and they throw it back in your face, they you know, you can get hurt real quick and you get bitter. And there again you just you gotta let it drive you back to the gospel and say, Now wait a minute. How often does God try to help me and I just choose to go my own way? All the time. So again it's the gospel that melts our heart and fuels us to do justice. Let me pray for us. Close our time in prayer. Father, help us to see um, that devotion to You is not only observing the Sabbath, as we saw very strongly there, uh, fasting, praying, being in our Bible, being personally devoted to You, that that pleases You. But that that, apart from a life of justice, is woefully incomplete. Would you activate us as your church? Not, not just us. It's not just us. There's no way that we can fulfill your mission 
just one little church grace community. We need all churches in our community to recapture the vision of your kingdom. So by your Spirit, would you bring that to our community, that churches would come together to do justice, that your kingdom might come in all of its fullness. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're going to close.